Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast. On today's episode of Diverse, I'm joined by Diane Egeda Nissen, a distinguished engineer at the Home Depot. Diane is currently responsible for the current and future technical strategy in the customer technology organization. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. We always love to hear the origin story of every guest that we have on Diverse. So in the beginning, what initially got you interested in STEM and engineering? So I grew up as the daughter of two teachers, and they were both math teachers. So I actually have always been sort of interested in math. I'm a little bit of a unique case. I was in math team when I was young, meaning in like middle school. And it was one of those things where I don't know if I was actually as interested in it as the school wanted some, needed some females to be on math team. And so I would get, there's a way to get out of class. Uh, The announcement would come on over the intercom saying, Diane, I'm going we need you. Can you please come? to whatever room and I'd participate in a math team event and I didn't have to have class, didn't have to go to class. So that was always kind of fun. (laughs) And then I took computer science in 10th grade. I really loved it. It was really fun, but I never thought about it as a career. Didn't occur to me that was a career. Went to college and originally I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. And then I changed my mind, decided I wanted to be a sociologist and then I decided I wanted to be a social worker. And none of them were things that I was excelling in, mm. but I just thought they sounded interesting. And then I took a, took a computer science class and I told my dad, I remember the conversation. I said, I think I might want to major in computer science. And my dad was like, I think that sounds like an excellent idea. So I, with their support, I uh, majored in computer science and I've never looked back. I, I've I've been in computers my entire career, whether it was programming, training, architecting. I, I've really been in computers my entire life. So I just feel like for me, math comes somewhat easily and so does problem solving. But I think it was, I had a lot of support along the way. I will say that. You mentioned off the top that when you were in these math groups, you were probably one of the only girls there. Yeah. And so did that ever, that part alone, did that ever deter you or make you, you know, hesitant to keep pursuing it? Or was it a challenge that you saw that you wanted to overcome? I don't, it never was something that made me think I didn't want to do it. I didn't, when I was in college, I was the only computer science group. I went to a small liberal arts school called Dickinson College in Pennsylvania. And there weren't that many people in the computer science program back when I took Mm -hmm. it. The program's much bigger now. But when I took it, we had a football player, a basketball player, me, and I think there were two others. 
and I was the only female and we were just bonded and it didn't really matter that I was the girl. I really think I kind of, in all honesty, I took pride in it, in being able to kind of compete with the men. But I also think it was a friendly competition, not a competition that was unhealthy. Mm. I think it allowed me to meet new people. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that you highlight there because so many of the guests, the amazing women that we get to talk to on this podcast have a very similar story where they had that initial interest in math and science and computers. But the one thing they did observe is that they were one of the only women or girls in their program. So it's just, it's so inspiring to hear that it never held you back. It just, it just kept going forward. Yeah. And I will say, I think had I ever felt intimidated, had I not had support, had I had people who were like, you can't do it might've changed the Mm. story, Mm -hmm. but I honestly never had anything like that. I mean, you know, I can think about my professors. I can think about that. I will say that when I was young, my mom tells me a story when I was really young and and she never told me this. And my, my mother kind of faced similar things in that she wanted to major in math in college and she was told she should major in English instead mm. because the guys were in math and the women should be in English and other things. Mm-hmm. But my mom did tell me once that when I was really little, like second or third grade, they wanted to put me in an advanced math class. Mm. And the school said something. Oh, no, I know what it was. Sorry, this was a little bit different. They wanted me to be in a, I want to take shop. And they told my mother that I should be in home ec instead. And my mother said, my daughter wants to be in shop. She's going to be in shop. (laughs) So I was one of like three people. But that's the kind of support I had, right? My mom's like, if she wants to do it, she can do it. And, And nobody ever, as far as I know, challenged me to say, you shouldn't take math or you're not good enough or anything like that. So I think I'm fortunate in that sense, very fortunate in that sense. But I also also think it made me who I am. Yeah. Your mom sounds like an incredible person to help champion your, your talents and your interests at such a young age. She really is. I shouldn't say what. She yeah. really is. So to someone who might be listening to this right now, and perhaps they're having the opposite problem in the sense that they're interested in a field that might not have a lot of diversity in it. What might you say to them? I would say you got to have confidence in yourself. Like that's the one thing I, I see in people who are young and who are who, people who might have more experience is you have to believe in yourself. Even if nobody else is going to believe in, in you, believe in yourself and give it a try and find allies. Like mm-hmm. it's really important to find those allies who will we'll pump you up and tell you what a great job you're doing and, and that maybe this is the right thing for you and take those small wins, right? So every time you pass a test, right? Or you complete a project that you really struggled on, take pride in that and tell people, tell people, look at what I did so that they believe in you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important to have those people in your corner. Yeah. Your educational journey, you touched on it a little bit. You went to Dickinson College. But I'm seeing here you also studied in Norway and you also have a master's from Georgia State University. So can you tell us a little bit more about your your educational journey? Sure. I went to Dickinson College and I got a bachelor's of computer science. And as I said, it was just such a great experience. I was a C++ programmer for those that are interested in that. That was what I learned. But then I spent a couple of years as a computer programmer after college and 
I was a computer programmer for a while and then I was a software instructor. And then I had the opportunity to go to Norway. But so when I went to Norway, it was just an incredible opportunity. And I really wanted to expand because I, I knew that at some point I probably wanted to go into management and things like that. And I felt like this would be a good opportunity to learn while doing it in a place that I wanted to be. And I was surrounded by family. So I did that. And then I came back looking for a job and I found a job at a company called Manhattan Associates. So I was a software instructor there for a couple of years. But while I was there, I learned about a program at Georgia State to do instructional technology. I did that program part-time while I was still working for this. And during that time, I also got a position at Home Depot. So I was a contractor first, and then I flipped over and became full-time. So educationally, I have two masters and a bachelor's, and I don't necessarily, like I don't, my instructional technology degree, I don't, it's not that I'm a trainer, but I use it every day. Like, how do you get concepts across to people? How, how do you explain things to people? What's the best way to do that? And I'm very happy with my education. I feel like it's a great fit for me and I've really, I really enjoyed it. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience studying in Norway? You said you were there for about a year and a half. That's not a common story that we hear on the podcast <laughs> about studying in Norway. Tell us about that. So I went to a school called BI Bay, and it is, it's a large college in, in Oslo. And in that group, it was a small group. It was about 35 to 40 people. And they were, everybody was from all over the world. We had a woman who was from China. We had a, we had someone who was from Czechoslovakia, I guess the Czech Republic. We had, most people were from Norway, from different parts of Norway, but we had some people from Sweden. We had some people from Iceland in the program. We had some people from Great Britain. So there were, there were just lots of people from all over the world. There were a couple of people from Canada and it was really interesting. And this program was a little bit different in that I think most people were at least 30 years old. So they'd had some work experience there. Mm -hmm. So when we studied, you could go ahead and apply your experience to this program. And it was really fun. We really bonded as a group. I'm still friends with people today that I still talk to. It was in English. It was not in Norwegian. Mm -hmm. And it gave me the opportunity, I would say, to learn different cultures in a way. Like in the US, we have, we certainly work with people from different countries, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. And I think that's amazing. I think that the chance to talk to people and understand where they're coming from that might be different than the way I would solve a problem and the way they solve problems are based on their background, right? The way they've learned things, et cetera. But this gave me a different type of opportunity to meet people from other countries that I don't normally go ahead and meet necessarily in the United States, like the people from Iceland, I'll say, right? There were four of them in Iceland in my program. And I don't know if I've ever met anybody from Iceland in the United States, but there I got the opportunity to do that. And just it's just fascinating when you think about how they solve problems and some of the problems that they solve and the reasons they solve problems are very different. Like in Iceland, you know, it's a country that's very unique in terms of a lot of people never leave Iceland. It's a very, it's a country that people don't generally, and I don't want to say this as a generalization, but 
there's not a lot of people who immigrate to Iceland, right? And so the way they've seen things just are very different than the necessarily in the United States where everybody moves all over the place and people you have, it's a, you know, they say it's a melting pot, right? Where people come from all sorts of countries. So the viewpoint people from Iceland had was very different than the the viewpoint that I would have. And it was fascinating to learn why people thought we should lead in different ways based on their backgrounds. Mm. That's a really powerful, enriching experience that you had there then. It was wonderful. I It was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I, I can honestly say that. Over the past 16 years, you you touched on it a little bit, but you've worked in a variety of areas across Home Depot. Can you talk about those different roles that you've had and the lessons that you picked up along the way, most importantly? Sure. So when I started at Home Depot, we were opening a type of warehouse, but the the main thing was that we were installing a warehouse management software. And I had worked at the company before we were installing Manhattan Associates warehouse management software, and I had worked there. So that's how I kind of got in the door. And while I was there, I spent the first couple of years working on the business a lot on how do we go ahead and configure this software so that it'll work for us. And I spent a couple of years, I did that for, I don't know, a couple of years. And then as I was doing that, one of the things that I found fascinating was working with other parts of the company. Like, how do we integrate all that information? How do we go ahead and figure out the rest of the, how do we go ahead and connect different parts of the organization together to make this successful? Mm-hmm. And I thought I loved it. I loved working with that integration part and understanding the big picture and how different areas of the company connect. How does finance connect to supply chain, which connects to merchandising, right? What do merchants do? What do people in inventory planning do? And I found it fascinating trying to figure out how all of these areas connected. So I spent time working in the warehouse management group and I also worked in the labor management side and how do we go ahead and understand how our warehouse workers are doing. But I decided I wanted to do something else because I had done that for quite a long time. So I asked my boss at the time, who was the VP of both supply chain and merchandising, if I could work on something new. So I had the opportunity to spend two years in merchandising and I learned more about merchandising. And things that I thought I knew, I really didn't know. And it also allowed me to work with some amazing people that I hadn't gotten to know before or I had known briefly. And I had, throughout that process, I had moved from business analyst role to what we called a functional configurator, basically sort of like a product manager in its own way in terms of what I was doing. And then also I became a lead engineer. So I was figuring out what's the right solution in terms of how do we go ahead and we looked at the data and I'm kind of data driven. So I was looking at all the data to say, what should the decisions be made? What decisions should be made based on what we're doing? So I did that for a couple of years and then I got promoted to, at the time, the role was called architect. Now it's called principal, but I was really enjoying what I found was I really enjoyed trying to figure out what the solutions should be. So what should we be doing? How can we connect this? Like, what's the roadmap of the company? What should the roadmap be of for technology to meet that roadmap of the company as we started thinking about supply chain and merchandising? And so I did that for 
gosh, I don't know how many years, 10 years, something like that, 11 years between those two areas. And I had the opportunity to go work for Chris Black, who's one of our VPs in our enterprise architecture group. And Chris is just, I have no words to express how much I enjoyed working for Chris. He is just an amazing person. And I learned so much from him. But basically, that was trying to figure out what the enterprise roadmap should be for the company. What are the technology choices across the company we should be making? And he really made me learn about not just, hey, what are we doing now? What are we going to do over the next three years? But does it financially make sense? I have to admit, I'd never really thought too much about the financials, which I should have thought about. But does it financially make sense? Even if we all know that we should, this a technology is not necessarily a technology we want to stay on. Is it a priority? Is it something that, you know, there's a return on an investment? Are we going to have a cost avoidance? Like, does it really make sense to spend time investing in a new technology if there's no, if it doesn't make sense to do it financially? But then in some instances, it does, right? So it still makes sense to go ahead and invest in new technologies because you can't find people who want to support it or it is going to cause us problems because it's the technology is not going to be there in X number of years. So he really taught me a lot in terms of how to think about what's the right way to think about the strategic decisions. The other thing Chris taught me, and it's funny, it's, it's more about soft skills and how important soft skills are to your job. And one of the things he taught me, and he really taught me at day one of working for him was, if there is a problem, address it soon, like address it immediately. Don't let things fester because the more you let things fester, you're just going to be anxious about it. You're going to stress over it. Just have that conversation early on and and solve problems soon versus letting them go on. And it's one of the probably the most important lessons I've ever learned at Home Depot. And it has served me well. Soft skills come up a lot as well in these conversations that we have. And it's interesting. The soft skill is almost like looked at as perhaps not the more important skill compared to the hard skill, but in the end, it contributes to to the big picture of your job and your day-to-day functions. Yeah. And it's, it is funny because I think about all the leaders that I respect the most Mm -hmm. and all of them have, they might not have the exact same soft skills, but they all have really good soft skills and provide me insight on how I could become a better leader, how I could become even a better person Mm -hmm. when I look at these people. Mm -hmm. It's like you go to school for the hard skills and you find that mentor, that ally that can help guide you with the soft skills. Exactly. Okay. So back to my career. So after So about a year and a half ago, I got this opportunity to take a promotion to what's called a distinguished engineer role in the customer and retail media space. And what that is, is providing strategic direction for those two areas. And it was an awesome opportunity because it was also, since I just worked for Chris, learning about the enterprise strategic direction, I could take everything I'd learned and see how can we align customer and retail media towards that. Unfortunately, both areas grew, not unfortunately, both areas grew, both areas grew. (laughs) And so they ended up splitting and they brought someone in to do the, um, become the distinguished engineer over retail media. And I took customer just from a time perspective. I didn't have the time to manage both. 
but it was, it's been a great journey. I, the people who work for me are incredible. My boss is amazing. My VP talk about someone who has excellent soft skills. JC Jamal is just one of the people who's one of some of the best soft skills I've ever met. And I learn from him all the time. Mm. Can you walk us through what an average day as a distinguished engineer in the customer technology organization at Home Depot looks like? What is that role like? What responsibilities do you have? So customer is a really interesting area because one of the things I love about my area is when you go ahead and you try to solve problems, all of us are customers as well. So you try to put yourself in that customer first mindset, Mm -hmm. right? So, hey, we have a problem with communications. How do we go ahead and solve this? Well, if if I were shopping, what would I want? So it's a really it's a really interesting area because we like you can really relate from day one. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my meetings are about how do we solve some of you know we've had something happen to a customer and what are we thinking about long term solving this problem right we see that there are some problems going on with certain types of transactions how do we improve this and so I spend probably a couple hours a day with the team thinking about. What are our strategic decisions and what are the small steps we can make to get to our longer term solution in helping solve customer problems that we know exist today? So that's a big part of my role. And it's working with other technology teams because a lot of times the solve is not necessarily within the customer organization. It might be within supply chain. It might be within the store processes. It might be within some of our backend processes. So it's working with all of those teams cross-functionally to kind of solve, how do we improve the customer experience? I usually am in several meetings a day on that. So that might take a couple of hours. I also, one of our emphasis is pro, and there's a lot of work in customer about pros because the pro area is just so dynamic and growing and so fascinating. And so with that, I'm, I usually have at least an hour or two a day discussions on how do we solve problems for pros that might be different than our DIY customers because they have different unique needs. So I usually spend some time on that. I spend some time with my... I have seven associates who report to me. So I spend some time one-on-one with them understanding what's going on, what challenges they're facing, what things that they've done that I need to know about that are amazing, what they're thinking strategically, because my goal is for all principals to be thinking strategically, you know, one to two to three years, depending on their area. Like, what do they think we should be doing? And then I also often I spend time talking either to my boss or to the other leaders in the area, trying to understand what's going on there. And so I, I will say I have a lot of meetings. But I also feel like I have time to pro- to help meet with people and actively discuss how should we solve problems. So that that's really what my role is. And it, it's a great role. I love it. You've been with Home Depot for you know 16 years at this point. You've been through different roles and responsibilities. You've worked your way up. What advice would you give to someone listening to this who is trying to grow and evolve in the company or the career path that they're in? So I'd say a couple things. One is, I think there's there's two things. One is that as you want to go ahead and grow, 
don't be, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to expand and do something different. One of the things I've enjoyed most about my career is I have taken lateral moves. I have, it's not always about getting a promotion. It's about really learning and trying new things. So as an example, you know, I moved from supply chain to merchandising, and then I moved to enterprise architect. All of those were lateral moves. And I learned more about the company than I could have just by getting promoted in place. So don't always worry about getting a promotion or getting a promotion fast. It really is about learning as much as you can. The other thing I would say is relationship building is one of the most important things that you can do in your career, right? Like if you, and it's harder in the virtual world, but if you go ahead and really get to know your partners, whether it's other engineers, whether it's product, whether it's UX, really go ahead and build relationships because that's going to create that sense of trust and that's that opens doors for you right so as people are you know sitting there saying hey i've got a new opportunity who do i know that might be good in this opportunity if people don't know who you are they might not think of you immediately mm-hmm. so it's one of those things where relationship building and i i don't want to say networking because i think people that has a bad connotation but it really is that is you're going to have to make an effort to get to know people and really get to know them, not just, oh, this person works next to me or this person, you know, I work with four hours a day, but I know nothing about them. You know, really, really try to get to know, know people. Mm-hmm. Staying visible. I like to say that too, if anyone, uh, I, I don't work in engineering and STEM, but I work in media, but staying visible, because I know the word networking can kind of be daunting to some personality types. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's funny, I was talking to someone probably about a year ago, and they were saying that they didn't really know their coworkers, and they were mm-hmm. relatively new to the organization. And I said, well, have you set up time to meet them? And, and they were like, why, why would I need to do that? And I said, think about it this way. If you were in the office, you, all these people would be right around you and you would know them just because mm-hmm. they're sitting right around you. So you need to change your tactics now and set up time, you know, have a coffee break, have a, you know, it could be a 10 minute coffee break that you set up with someone just to get to know them a little better. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing, but, you know, you've got to go ahead and find ways to, as you said, stay visible. Mm -hmm. And Diane, before we let you go here, we know that you have a very busy day ahead. What's that last word that you want to leave with our listeners? I would say two things. One is, I think that one of the things that I would say to engineers, and like a lot of people have heard me say this, is one of the best pieces of advice, I, and it's not really advice, I read this, is from an author named Daniel Pink, who I love. And he talked about how when you go ahead and go into a room, go into a conversation, like don't go in thinking that you have the best idea and everybody should want to do whatever it is that you want to do. What you should be thinking about is how do you go ahead and listen to everybody else's idea to build an idea that's even better than the one that you initially thought? 
And I would say that's true of careers too, right? Listen to people about when you're thinking about, hey, what is the roadmap of what you want? Keep your ears open because maybe things will come up that you hadn't thought about. And I could say, probably should say, you know, lookcareers.homedepot.com because maybe we have some jobs that you hadn't thought about. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I will tell you, it's a wonderful place to work. I'm currently actually in Montana. I live in Atlanta, but I'm in Montana because we work virtually. And so I've been spending this week working from Montana and getting to see the most amazing nature. It's been wonderful. But what I would say is, so as I said, keep your keep your ears and your eyes open and think, you know, maybe think of outside the box a little bit in terms of both when you're trying to accomplish something and when you're looking at your career and keep your you know, be open to other ideas, not necessarily forgetting what you want to do, but how do you enhance what you want to do? That's so yeah. good. And uh, Daniel Pink is a wonderful author and I've really learned a lot from him. He's one of my favorites. And the second thing I would say is don't be afraid. I think that a lot of times, especially when you're new in your career, people are afraid to kind of take on new challenges, or if there is a problem, maybe speak up about it. One of the conversations I had with someone the other day was they were like, what do I do if I don't agree with what my partner wants to do? You know, they, they want to go ahead and implement some sort of code. And I really don't want to do that. And my comment is find different ways to influence, right? Influence is another word for selling, right? How do you sell your ideas? How do you influence others? Think about different ways that you can go ahead and do that and practice. Practice at home. <laughs> I do that a lot. Practice at home and see like what your style is and how it works for you. And I think that like the more influence you have, the more ways you have, the more ability you have to sell your ideas and everybody's style is different, the easier it becomes to get people to align with you. And then at that point, I think it kind of makes your job easier. It makes your career easier. Everything else kind of comes a little more naturally. Diane, that was such incredible advice. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day as you're traveling to take us through your career, your journey, your time at Home Depot. And hey, who knows? Someone listening to this might be working with you in the future. I hope so. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. (laughs) Diane, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Sam East. For all of us at SUI, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org.